The defendant's commission of these four murders over a 10-day period is one of the worst killing sprees in the history of this state. Skin them sometimes, uh, slit them, slit them all the way open. Uh, I'm here looking for the spirits of anybody that still remains. I have a device in my hand. If you would like to talk to it, please come forward. Tell me your story. Maybe I should have killed four or five hundred people. Then I would have felt better. Then when I felt like I really offered society something. You are listening to Serial Spirits, the podcast. Tracy, what I tell you about playing the organ while I'm trying to record a commercial? Dang, my bad. Get off my nuts. Hey, Hillbilly Horror Stories fans. I'm Annie Weaves. And I'm Brendan Shea. We are paranormal investigators and hosts of Serial Spirits Podcast. We're excited to be a part of the Hillbilly Horror Story 6th anniversary live show at the Old Hospital on College Hill. We have had the privilege to investigate there, and wow, is this place active. Hey guys, it's Jerry. And Tracy. We are so excited to have Annie and Brendan with us on Saturday, August 20th at the Old Hospital on College Hill in Williamson, West Virginia. You will hear both shows do a live version of our podcast, and then everyone will get a tour of the hospital. Get your tickets today at hillbillyhorrorstories.com. And don't procrastinate because seating is limited. Hey everyone, welcome back to Serial Spirits. I'm Annie Weebs, and my guest this week needs very little introduction. She's the host of Because I Want to Know podcast. My friend and podcasting mentor, Leslie Fear, is on the line. Leslie, darling, how are you this week? It's so good to be on your podcast. It's an honor. Thank you so much for having me, girl. I don't know. The the pleasure's all on this side of the table. If you've ever seen the movie Office Space, you'll get that reference. But no, so, Leslie, you know that your podcast is my Monday morning go-to, and you have some insanely interesting guests on in the past. But a few weeks ago, you kind of dropped a bombshell of your own, and my jaw dropped and I thought how did I not know this about you and and so yeah so I'm gonna turn the mic over to you just to tell your story but before I do I do want to suggest listener discretion on this episode we're gonna discuss some pretty heavy things including suicide so listener discretion advised from this point on and Leslie I'm just gonna turn it over and let you drop your bombshell on everybody else and uh, and kind of share your story. Well, thank you. Um, yeah, it's, uh, it, it's definitely a bombshell, I'll tell you that. Um, and I didn't talk about it for a long time because, honestly, when my mother, she died about five years ago, when she was alive, she kind of just forbade us from talking about it. It was just, to, to her, it was very embarrassing. And I, and I understood that, and as I got older, it really just, wasn't going to affect me either way. So, uh, we didn't talk about it, but, um, 
you know, you start listening to other podcasts and they cover things like cults and they cover things like, um, you know, and then you're like, wait a minute, you know, my, one of my family members or a few of my family members have been in a pretty big cult. Um, and I cover cults on my podcast. So maybe it's time to talk about it. No, I, I, I agree with that. And it's, and you and I have talked about this and, and we'll get into it about why I do feel like it's maybe more important now than ever to talk about situations like this. We'll, we'll get to that later. Go ahead and, and share your story, if you will, or your family story. So, yeah. Um, well, back in 74, I was a pretty young kid. You know, I was uh, nine, maybe, something like that, maybe eight. And um, I, you know, I was worried about how the light on the bridge went out. I wasn't worried about, you know, if an aunt of mine or a grandmother of mine was going to join a cult. You know, that's something that wasn't really in my stratosphere at the time. But so it wasn't really an issue when I was younger. But my mother's mother, um, Lorraine Williams, she joined. She was one of the first members with Marshall Applewhite and Bonnie Nettle with the Heaven's Gate cult. And in turn, she brought her daughter, my mom's sister, Sharon, and her other daughter, my mom's half-sister, because she had married another man and had a baby with them. Um, her name was Judy. Now, now, you have to understand, when I grew up, I really didn't know my grandmother very well, so hence, I didn't know my aunts very well. I knew of them. I think I'd met them a couple times. My grandmother ended up actually meeting more than that, but really not that much about my aunt, my mom's sisters. It just wasn't a close-knit family. They were just all over the place. There was just, there was, I think there was a lot of mental illness in the family on that side. And um, I'll get into that probably more because there was a point in which I think my grandmother just became unhinged for her to join this kind of group. I have, I have two aunts that joined. So when, when Lorraine joined the group, she brought two of her daughters in, Sharon, who is my mom's full sister, and Judy, who is my mother's I don't know if you realize this, but in some of the research that I've done, um, I've actually read about your aunt online. Have you read about her online? Uh, I have not read about her online. Um, no. Um, I probably should, though, because I actually interviewed her daughter, my cousin, Cindy, on my podcast because she wouldn't even talk to the media. Um, she was approached many, many times and she finally agreed to do my podcast. So, um, we talked it out and, and you know, it was like the blind leading the blind though. Cause she, it was the same thing with her. She didn't really know the grandmother. She barely knew my mom. Right. And, and so because of that, we're going, Oh, that when that happened. Oh, Oh, wait a minute. I get it. Oh, I didn't know that happened. Oh, okay. The timeline started kind of we were having to figure it out as we went. So uh, that's how, so it was, like I said, I feel like I'm insane talking about this because it's like, well, why are you talking about it? You're not really, you know, but no, it's just, there's so much to it that we were trying to piece through every single thing. And it was just so compelling to find out the things that went on. So yeah, I, I know enough to where I didn't even go look at, at, at anything online. Do, do you actually pick her out to talk about? Well, it, okay. So in some of the research, that I've done online, um, actually, it's the Wikipedia page <laughs> for mm. for lack of, of anything better, um, talks about the very first Heaven's Gate cult member, Sharon. And so you said, uh, I did not realize that that is who we were going to be talking about. So yeah, yeah, whole, that's yeah, a, well, actually, another holy crap Sharon moment. 
it was actually Sharon and my my it was really Lorraine, my grandmother, her mom, and Sharon were were really the first two. Okay, so well, there's another bombshell that you dropped on me. Okay, so so continue. <laughs> I, I'm... Okay, so in 1974. Um, when my, my grandmother joined the group, and I don't know why, I don't, I think back in the 60s, people were really looking for spiritual um, guidance, you know, it was just free love and hippies, and I just think that was something that was very popular back then, and, um, and I think that may be why my grandmother joined the group, it's all about, you know, when they started, it's just this, it was a weird religious movement with them, it was just this Christian New Agey ufology kind of thing, and and it's kind of going on now again, really. But uh, but but if we if we talk about the leaders, let's talk about them first. Marshall Applewhite. He was born in 31, 1931, and he was a gay man, and he but he was the son of a Presbyterian preacher, and I know that he was probably taught that that was evil and bad and and sinful, and and they probably tried to pull the gay out of him. Well, that was the first undoing, I think, mentally for him, you know, because that was that that took place for years. Him just trying to get over that, trying to please his father, right. his father probably not giving him very good advice on his anything right. like that. Because you know, thank goodness we don't think like that now. Back in the you right. know, yeah fifties and sixties, oh my gosh, that's yeah. horrible. You know, you've got to change this. So that was the first. So he probably never fit in, and he was even kicked out of one of the colleges because he had a um, an affair with someone. I think it was actually uh, he was fired from a University of St. Thomas in Houston because he had an alleged relationship with one of the male students. So you're never accepted. Okay, so you already have that as your background of growing up. All right. Then he meets Bonnie Nettles, and she's actually a nurse, and she has like this interest in. Um, Theosophy, um, which is like a biblical kind of prophecy kind of thing. I don't know. Um, where she's kind of into this weird, I don't even know why they came about this stuff, but like theosophy is like the um, like an esoteric movement. It draws the teachings from Blavatsky's writings on this range of order. And it's almost like Masonic-y kind of things, right? It's just right. so strange. Yes. It, and yes. yeah, and because of that, you know, and, she, and I think, I think both of them, Bonnie and Marshall, were both still just so lost in their lives. Now, I don't know much about Bonnie's life before that. I know she wasn't, I don't think she was married at the time at all. I think she did have a daughter, so she. I think she was married at one point, but she wasn't when they met. I think she was like 44 years old, so I think she was actually older than him when they met. So when they, when they got this group together, they started just doing a lot of just meetings at like colleges, putting pamphlets out, trying to get people to come, right? So um, Lorraine got into it. She uh, and and honestly, if we really, to be honest with you, I think I think Sharon, her my mom's full sister, either got a hold of one of these pamphlets or Judy did. I'm not sure. Somebody got a hold of it and kind of attracted everyone else. You know, Lorraine, Sharon, or whoever did it. So they all three are in this group together. Now you got to understand, Lorraine's older. She's my grandmother. She was older at the time. She had two 20-something-year-old daughters in this group. And these daughters both had families, and so did Lorraine. And they eventually left their families. Like, they left my sister, or my um, my cousin uh, Cindy was eight, and her brother was six when my uh, half-aunt uh, left her own children for this cult. And so you can imagine 
the kind of disarray and like what the heck is going on? I don't. I know that G. We called her Jr. I know that Judy's husband didn't even know the neighbor knew, and I don't know. And I do know that um, Judy's husband wasn't the kindest person. I think he was a little bit of a narcissist, and I don't think she was real happy in her marriage. But to do this and to just leave your family and just literally leave, um, I don't know how she did that. Did she tell them where she was going, or was it just like, I'm packing up and heading out, and, and nobody knew what was happening at the time? Nobody knew what was happening. She told the neighbor, and I think the neighbor was the one that told them. And then, of course, um, Cindy's dad, Judy's husband, you know, called his parents. And he's like, I have no idea what's going on. And then what, you know, and, and Cindy said the day it happened, she remembers Lorraine at her house and there was a car. She goes, the, the hood of the car, or not the hood, the uh, back of the car, the trunk, her mom was putting all of her belongings in there and some gold bars and things like that. And then just, they, they just left. And she, you know, and she was just like, I don't know what's going on because she, they walked to school. So she was like, okay, maybe they're just going out to someplace. No one told her anything. So when she came back and everything was just going crazy. And honestly, I think, I think her mom left while her dad was at work. So, uh, cause you got to remember she's eight years old. She's in what first, second grade. And she's walking her little brother to school with her and her mom's packing up a car. Her dad, I guess, got off early enough for them to be home or knew they would be home without anyone there. So he came home and obviously was upset because he found out what was going on and the neighbor told him what was going on. So that already is so bizarre. How long was she gone before they kind of started putting all of this together that she wasn't coming back? How did they find out that it was because this cult, I guess, and did she, I guess she just met Marshall Applewhite at one of these colleges and, and he said, hey, come with me. I know stuff about the Bible. I think I know stuff about UFOs. Because if you break down Heaven's Gate cult, their website is still up and running. And some of the stuff that is on there is just, it's pretty out there. What happened was, you know, the neighbor knew, the neighbor told her father. Now, I don't know specifically on, that's, that's one thing we, we were trying to piece together when I was interviewing my uh, cousin, Cindy. The dates are fuzzy because we're not sure exactly on those things. Um, we know she, she left and she was gone a long time, years. And, but you couldn't, and the thing is they want all the money they can get from you. That's part of being a cult. Um, they want all your possessions. They, you cannot have contact. You can't write letters. You can't know anything. And so just, it's just literally like she didn't exist anymore. And, you know, you can imagine the kind of damage that can do to a child, let alone, you know, a husband. So, you know, what are we doing here? Once that happened, and I started asking her kind of the same kinds of things you asked me, like, well, how long was it? And she said, you know, no, it was years. And, um, you know, we couldn't talk to her. We couldn't have any contact with her. And the neighbor knew that, uh, and, and, you know, she goes, I was eight. I wasn't asking the kinds of questions, an, you know, an adult would ask when I was eight years old to, to a neighbor, you know, and I totally get that. But the weird thing is, and with my grandmother, and I, I've only met her like a handful of times, she would just kind of show up. I mean, out of the blue, she showed up, 
you know, for my high school graduation. And then out of the blue, she showed up right after I had my, my son in 97. And that was right after the group had committed suicide, too. It was really kind of strange, the timing on that. Oh, that and, is weird. Yeah, it is weird. And, you know, I, I, I got to tell you, she, she was very eccentric, but she was really, she had a personality, and she's actually pretty fun. You, you, you don't want to like her, but you kind of like her because she's funny, and she talks about, hey, you know, you got any wine? And, you know, just funny, you know, just, so you kind of want to like her, but you're like, I don't know you. And I know what has happened in your life. I know enough to be kind of dangerous at that point because I didn't know what I know now because I talked to my cousin and I know a lot more about it and just what I know about the group in general. So it's, but like I said, it's just, it's so bizarre because when my mom and Sharon, the two full sisters were little, Lorraine would just take her two daughters to her sister and just leave for years and come back and just show up and get them. Right. Just to think about up and leaving your family like that. Because I asked her, I said, you know, you never had kids. And she goes, you know, one of the reasons I never had kids and she's very happy and it was the right decision for her. You know, she goes, I needed to heal that little girl inside me. And I also didn't want to be the kind of mom that left her kids. My mom was way too good at it. And yeah. I didn't want to be good at leaving my children. I understand. No, I, I totally get that. And I think for her, that's probably the better choice of the two because you really don't have any type of positive influence mm-hmm. to to say, yeah, this is how you, you mother a child. So I, right. I get where she comes from in that. It's just. Yeah. Because of that, you know, for, so for years they went on with no mother. And uh, eventually when her brother got a little older, he was having a hard time coping and he did end up taking his life. And I know that this didn't help. I don't know his mental state. We didn't really talk about that a whole lot just because that may be more private for her not to talk about. But I do know his mother leaving at such a young age and then the father not really being the kind of father that would be a nurturing kind of father. Not that he's a bad guy. It's just he wasn't that kind of person. He never really got that foundation of a good, of that good family foundation. And I think uh, it was too hard on him. So going back to the time when everybody starts to put together these realizations of, oh, okay, they were with a cult who were just members of a a nationally, if not globally known, mass suicide in March of 97. And I'll, I'll let you go into that. When did people start to put these pieces together of they've been members of a cult? They've been missing for years. Now this mass suicide happens because of this cult. These people kind of start coming back into your life randomly. How were they reincorporating? Were they saying anything? Did they talk about members of the cult? Like, like how did all of this come back together and you guys started putting these pieces together? Well, and, and with, with Marshall, with his, whole, with his whole thing, his whole story, they, he and Bonnie Nettles started the group where, you know, they had like a couple hundred people, you know, in the mid-70s. Like, there's a bunch of people in this group at the time. And so word was getting around, and they were getting on the news. Like, people were starting to recognize this on the news and going, hey, there's this weird religious group going around, and uh, families are starting to notice that they're not able to contact their loved ones, and people are starting to get scared. So the, they were kind of – now they're – 
in, on someone's radar. Now they're in, you know, they're on the national news. It's not just some weird religious group uh, locally on in San Diego or something or, you know, New Mexico or Texas. It's all over the place. So they have to move a little bit. You know, they have to kind of have that lifestyle of, okay, we can't be in too many places or stay in too many places at one time. And so, but they went on and they got more members and more members. Well, then, and, and the whole preface of it was, at first, the body never died. They would say, the body never dies. And that was just so crazy to me because obviously we all die, right? Well, I don't know why they were saying those things because when Bonnie Nettles died in like 85 of like brain tumor, of brain cancer, um, all of a sudden, he, I think Applewhite just kind of lost it a little bit. He let the group go back to their family for a little while. And that's when I met Judy. Because I used to sing all over Dallas and Fort Worth. And I remember she and my mom came to see me one night when I was singing. I was singing uh, like a four set that night. And on my um, on my break, I, I actually met Judy. And she was lovely and sweet and pretty and just shy and demure, but just really nice. That's when Cindy got to see her mom again. And by then, Cindy had kind of gone off the rails. She was, she was older. She's in her 20s now by then. So this has been years. This has been probably... Uh, from eight to what? But she's in oh, her okay. early 20s, you know, like I was. She's about my age. So um, she she goes back, and, and her, her dad lets her mom come back and live with them. Like nothing happened. This is like, okay. But she'd been so indoctrinated in this group and so different coming out of this group that he was like, I, I can't do this. I love you. And I really wanted you back. And for years I wished and prayed for it, but, and you are here now, but you are not the same person. So that broke them up because for years in California, I think you had to have like the signature of someone else. You had, it, it, it took a year or something or two to even get divorced. It, it's a different situation now, but back then he'd already started to try to divorce her um, even when she was in heaven's gate. But when she came back, he tried again and okay, no, it's not going to work. So then she moves, and this is what I found out from my cousin. Then she moves to Texas and marries a cowboy. But, but the time that she was home and Cindy got to get to know her mom a little bit more, she goes, I don't know why I never, because I asked her, did you ask her why she left? She goes, I never asked her, and I just regret it still to this day. And I don't know why I didn't ask her. I just didn't ask her. I was just so happy to have her back. Maybe I thought she'd leave if I did ask her. And I was like, well, that's a good point. So if you talk about the belief behind Heaven's Gate cult, so, so let's go there for a second. Marshall Applewhite kind of thought that he was Jesus incarnate living presently on the earth but that the original Jesus was an extraterrestrial and that everyone who came back and um and would be a part of Heaven's Gate cult would be taken back to heaven on a UFO and would be they would become extraterrestrials which meant that they were going to have a more superb body than a human body. So I think when they were saying that, you know, people never die, it was their belief of, well, the human body might die here. It was just a vessel. I think they call it a vehicle. It was just a vehicle and that once they transition, they would go back to heaven on a UFO, which in 1997, when this all happened, was the Hellbop Comet, and that they would continue to live as these 
extraterrestrial being. Yeah, next level bodies is what he called them too. And so you're you're just like okay. So and because he he thought that they were like a container. Marshall Applewhite kind of went crazy during that five year stint, and he stole a rental car and he was writing bad checks. So he went to jail for a little while. I had no idea he that happened either. And so when he got back. And we got out of that mess. I don't know how he got out of that mess. I don't know that part. But I think because some of the members have been with him for so long and they weren't doing well, they all regrouped again as much as they could regroup. And I think it was only like 40 members at that time. It was way less than it was before. They got off because Judy wasn't doing well in her, that marriage either. And that dissolved. And then, and I, and I do think, and I was on another podcast about this and, and Karen made a really good, paranormal Karen, she made a really good point. She goes, you know, I, I watched this, this, uh, episode of like that 70s show when she goes the guy that started dating the real bossy girl and the guy and and her his friends were like why are you doing that and he goes because I don't have to think she does all the thinking for me and I was like you know that's a really good point because I think Judy was to that point she didn't want responsibility she didn't want to think for herself she wanted everybody to tell her what to do I just need this minimalist life and I will forego my identity I'll cut my hair I'll eat what you tell me I'll do all the work at the house I won't have communication with my family. I'll do all these things, and um, and that way I won't have any any responsibility or any or be a mother or anything else. And that's how they all live. And a level of it too. You also have to think about Stockholm syndrome. You know, these yes. these people have been indoctrinated into this for so long that it is their reality. They don't know how else to live. And when they get back out and try to reincorporate themselves back into their natural families yeah. or into society, they don't know how to operate. They don't know how to survive. No. It's kind of like being in prison. And a lot of times, what, there's a high percentage of people that have been in prison for years, they, they are back in prison again. Yeah, Shawshank, because they, they don't know, you know, they get out. They're like the, the old man in Shawshank who doesn't know how to survive, and then he, you know, dies by suicide. He hangs himself. And yeah. so... You have to wonder if at some point the members of Heaven's Gate are coming to this reality of, well, we don't know how to be back in society. And now that now that you say that to me, a lot of it makes sense. And so the 39 who were there and who did die in the mass suicide, maybe they just had no idea how else to come back out and reincorporate into society and they thought well this is all I have left it, it's literally do or die right now and, and they called the people that were there they called them the crew and they gave them these names that ended with I can't think of the name of, of what they ended with they ended with OD I think ODY like they would make up their name and then everybody was ODY at the end so um, which was so strange to me just that part but that's still that cult personality of, um, or that cult um, grooming of it's got to be done this way and we're going to do that. But these people were okay with it. These people were okay with not having that responsibility either. And, you know, I know that once, you know, got together again, um, you know, after he was in prison or, or not prison, but I think he was in jail for like six months. I don't think it was that long. They, they had like this metaphysical meeting with these people. It was just, you know, and then he was like, hey, we're going to do this experiment, and it's the next level, and we're going to, you know, we're going to be called the crew. It was just so weird. Um, from what from what Cindy gathered from, you know, when she did talk to her mom and some other things that she learned after when she did her own research. So, uh, but you're right. It's like 
they're so indoctrinated and they're so groomed and then they're they're gaslit on life itself. They didn't have to live like this. But when you're so indoctrinated by someone who's honestly pretty much unhinged already and then he loses someone else and you know, because at the time, listen, she felt like Nettles was the only one that was really accepting him, Bonnie Nettles. So he felt wonderful. This is awesome. Somebody's accepting me. Now I feel like the top of the world. Let's start up. A- so how did you guys discover that Judy was one of the 39 who died by suicide in, in the mass suicide, March 1997? Even though it didn't happen to my specific, Emily Lorraine still had contact with, um, I don't know about Judy. I don't know if they were allowed to, that part we don't know. But she knew Marshall Applewhite, and I think they talked sometimes. Because Marshall Applewhite visited my, my grandmother's house several times. It was so weird. I know that before the mass suicide, all of the members, Marshall Applewhite told all of the members basically to write this detailed description. And actually, if you go to their website, Heaven's Gate, cult.com it's still operating somebody somebody has kept that active and it actually shows the the last words of some of these people and he's told them to say well this is why I'm deciding to leave my earthly body at this point so basically they give detail of why they are deciding to die by this mass suicide have you ever read Judy's? Were you ever privy to any of that information, any of her writings, any of, of the journals of any of these people to say what their their final thoughts were in those days? I didn't read anything she actually wrote. I do know that they filmed them talking about how how excited they were to do this deed to actually kill themselves. They were all very excited. They thought they were going to get these new bodies. Um, they thought they were going to, the Haley Bop um, comet that was going through, that's why, that's what determined the 1997, March of 90, 1997 um, actual occurrence, because the Haley Bop comet was coming through and it was visible around the areas that they lived in the um, Rancho Santa Fe in um, close to San Diego, California. And they could see it. And they thought, oh, if we all do it, we can hop on the Haley Bop and we can get there faster. That'll be our ship. So um, I know it sounds insane. So that's, that was their thinking of doing it at the time they did it. And yeah, they've got actual videotape of them saying, we're so excited and, and we can't wait and we're so happy to be a part of this project. And, and, and Marshall Applewhite, he was in, I don't know if it's still up on his, on his um, website, but he would say, now is the time you need to join our group if you want to have everlasting life. Now is the time. The, t- the end is coming, and it was just craziness. I think I read on there that they died by a combination of phenobarbital, which is a, a suppressant, and vodka. And so basically what was happening was that they were kind of doing it in, like, shifts, right? So that they, they had a group, and they were all dressed a lot, took phenobarb, they drank a whole bunch of vodka, and then another member of the group would asphyxiate them and then place their bodies in, back in their beds in this because they rented this mansion that they were all living in at the time. So do you know if she was one of the first ones like in, in this group, I guess? Yeah, I, I don't even know that. I don't know that part. The only reason that like Cindy had called Lorraine 
after it had happened, and she said, I tried to call the authorities to find out if mom was in the group, you know, that, that killed themselves, because she didn't know, because there's two that left, and she didn't know who left. They wouldn't give out names. And then and they said, uh, they put her on hold or something, and they, they said, no, she's not on the list. And then she called Lorraine, and Lorraine said, oh, no, she's one of the people. And then she calls back, like, the next day, and they put her on hold for a while, and she goes, and that's when I knew, because they, they took a minute to probably find her information. They got back with me and said, absolutely, she's one of the ones that killed themselves. So that's the only part that I knew. I don't know when it happened. I don't, you know, as far as what order it was in, I do know that they... Like I said, they had the um, identical cloth that they put over them. They had the identical shoes and clothing. And they, they all ate the same meal the night before. And they were all very happy and, and excited. It was just a strange thing because they just could not wait to do this. I think there was like 21 women and 18 men. And there were some, I think the ages ranged from like 26 to 72. So were were you guys able to recover Judy's body were they were you able to bring her home and give her a burial or was this I imagine that there was some type of police intervention in the middle that was like okay guys this is a mass suicide is it murder is there anybody else out there that we still have to blame for this like our charges going to be brought what happens after you find out that she's one and that she's dead and and that there are 38 other people in that similar circumstance in this mansion oh it's just total devastation and the thing is what happened was and i don't know honestly i'd never asked her that i think she did say she has her mother's ashes now i do think she does have that the media was just going nuts and they were calling her her father her brother all of them and her father and her brother did a few interviews i think with dateline and i believe with 2020 and people magazine so they did a few. Cindy never did one. She was like so, she didn't want to have anything to do with it. She was disgusted with the whole thing. She was so angry, and I understand that. So that was why it was such a big deal she even came on my podcast, that she even did it with me. I mean, obviously, I'm related to her, so that helped. But I didn't know Cindy very well either, but we've gotten to know each other so much better, and I just love her to death. She's, a, she's an amazing human being and is a Reiki master and all the things. She's just amazing. But she was so upset and mad, and I get it. But, you know, it's funny. After this happened, um, and her mom, you know, was involved in the mass suicide, and the brother and the dad did all these interviews, that's when her brother decided later on to take his life, too. Do you think it was, okay, and I'll go here because you've mentioned it already. You mentioned a level of mental wellness that maybe they struggled with. Maybe this is why. Yeah they were wanting to be a part of that. Do you think that was something that maybe affected him as well? Or was it more circumstance? I, I don't... I Honestly, I, I don't know um, for sure. I do think that it probably was a combination of both. And I think it was overwhelming for her brother because he was already just so young when it all happened. And then trying to calculate this and understand and wrap his brain around this, even as an adult, talking to all these people, getting all this attention. I don't I don't know. I just know that it 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 was the the biggest devastation besides the mother leaving to to Cindy and her dad. Because now it's just those two alive now. The other two are gone. And at one time it was a family of four with a beautiful life and a great, you know, house and a beautiful 
you know, environment and everything was fine. And then one person does something horrific and years and years of mental illness, possible mental illness could have affected any one of them. And then later on, you don't realize probably until the demons start getting you because your mom's gone, but then you have to talk about her all over again. And the news media is all over your butt trying to find out what's going on. And you don't even want to talk about it because it's so devastating, but, you know, they're probably offering money and they're probably, you know, trying to get all the information and they want to make sure it's right. I don't think it was about money. I don't think they had money problems, but I can see why that would make him just be a little unhinged too. I, I, I would never have thought he would have done that. You've had a lot of people on your podcast that have been part of cults, for lack of a better word, religions groups that are trying to form people into some type of a social norm that they feel is acceptable. And I think you and I talked about this in in the past, that we feel like now more than ever, it's more available to people than it has been before because of social media, because of, of the ability to reach hundreds or thousands or millions of people with one website or one social media post. Mm. And it, it's dangerous for people who can fall into these and not even realize that that's what they're a part of, that they're being taken advantage of. Um, I feel like it's a dangerous time right now. And I'm surprised that we actually don't see more of this in, in our society right now. Because I think in this society, I think it's, it's more rampant than we know. Because of the, and I'm going to call it this for a reason, it's because I think this is what it's really truly is, the fundamentalist. I'm not talking about just people that go to church and worship God. That's not what I'm talking about. That's fine. You do you. I think it's more the indoctrination of, you know, our way is the only way. You need to recruit people. We want your money. You need to stay in our group. You really don't need to have friends that are outside this situation. And to me, that's a cult. And when you look at it, too, of we have all been so physically distanced because of COVID, right? People are looking for that way to be accepted, to be a part of something. And so I, I think this is just kind of like, I guess, my, my warning that I would throw out to people is that if you feel like it's too good to be true and you're on these groups and people start asking you for money, stop and think about it for a hot second before you jump in with both feet and say, do these people have my best interest at heart? What do they have to gain from me in this situation? And vice versa, what am I truly giving up to be a part of this potentially? You know, there are other kinds of cults, too. I think there are corporate cults where you have these uh, multi-level marketing companies. And I, you know, and, and that's, a, that's a touchy subject, and I understand that. And I've known people that have been in some of these things, and I don't want to name the names because that's giving it power, and I don't want to do that. But you know what I'm talking about, the multi-level marketing places where they say, if you recruit so many people, you're going to make all this money and sell this product and get your family involved and have them do it. and and, you know, we, we can go on these trips, but you got to pay for them. And, you, you know, we're going to give you tapes on how to do it. you got to pay for them. You end up spending so much money for very little back, you know, feedback or um, money back from anything. 
I think 98% of the people that do join an MLM, they fail too, and they lose money. To me, that's a corporate cult, and they don't want you outside of it. And, and it's huge on TikTok. Like, there are so many people that talk about these things. And I talked to someone who was with, and I'll just say her, she was with LuLaRoe. And, but, but, but it doesn't have to be religious. See what I'm saying? It could be corporate, religious. It could be just, I, I'm really glad, you know, when I talk about things like this on my podcast, if nothing else, um, it's it, so with sex trafficking. That's kind of like a cult, too. If nothing else, I'm hoping that I can spread the awareness to listeners to go, oh, wait a minute. I, I was part of one, and she was right. That didn't do well for me. Or I, I was approached by someone, and they were promising me, like you said, the world, and I didn't do it. Thank goodness, because look what happened to what, whomever. Right. And I think anybody who's been deep into a religion at any point has probably felt that to some degree, that you have to do specific things to fit in and to be a part of it. And I say, I think that's my takeaway and, and probably yours from all of this is don't feel like you have to fit into that mold. Be careful when people tell you that you have to. And if you're struggling mentally to find your place in the world or, you know, just to be yourself, seek the help that you need to. There's so much help available out there right now. Instead of putting yourself into somebody else's little box that you have to fit into. Annie, sometimes they don't know it, though. They don't see it coming until they're so deep into it. And that's that's the problem, I think, with a lot of these places like like the multi-level marketing kind of places or whatever you know they promise you the world and then you're in it and then you can't get out and you know but but they but they prey on you know the single moms that just want to make some friends or they prey on a single mom that just wants to have a a religion she can believe in or they prey on an abusing mom or young young women there are men too don't get me wrong but it's you know I, I have the experience in my my family with the young mom thing and and it's just they know where to get you, and, and they, they, they know that they prey on that. You know, they prey on a lot of that, and they know it. And, and that's what I, I, I just, you know, just like when I've seen TikToks where women will be, you know, young women will be at a Target or a Walmart, and they're like, watch what you're doing. There's people that will follow you, and that's how some people get sex trafficked. I'm not trying to makes anybody fear that because I don't think I think it's pretty rare. But you always they always say, be aware of your surroundings because right. the world is just, you know, it's not like it. I think it's always there's always been evil in the world. Don't get me wrong. I think there's always been evil people in this world. But I just think when the world becomes so desperate for normalcy and people start losing their houses or losing things and they try to do anything to get rich quick or they do anything to make a dollar even if it's something illegal they're going to do it it's desperateness they 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 prey on that i'm just really i'm glad that you were able to come on and and tell everybody this story about your family you have so many stories like this on your podcast and so um kind of wrapping up in all these other thoughts, if you have any final thoughts that you'd like to share with us, if not, tell everybody where they can hear Because I Want to Know podcast. It's my Monday morning favorite, guys. So if you've never listened, please do it. Just your your kind of final thoughts on that and then tell everybody how we can find you. My final thoughts. Okay, well, my final thoughts are, and 
I don't know if everybody's going to agree with this, but I do think we come here and we kind of plan our lives. And unfortunately, I think sometimes we plan things, and this is not victim blaming. I just truly think we come to um, learn, and whether it's with an absent parent or whether it's with um, having cancer or whether it's with losing a child, I just think we, if, if it was rainbows and butterflies all the time, we would never learn. So I try to think of it that way, or honestly, I hope would be lost um, if you think about it. So if you can just think about it that way and, and try to remember that there's way more good in this world than there is evil, but just be aware of your surroundings, be aware of people that take advantage of your life situation, just be aware. And that's the best advice I can give, at least in this particular context of cult stuff. But my podcast, okay, because I want to know. I cover true crime, as you guys know now, and I cover the paranormal. I have anything from a mortician to psychic mediums to near-death experiencers to I interviewed a man who preps people for prison. He went to prison, was scared to death, had no idea what, was, what he was facing, and then he got out and started his own business helping others to know what to expect. And I just was so fascinated by him alone. So I, and I cover anyone and everyone who interests me. So it's not always paranormal and it's not always um, true crime. I love to decorate. I had an interior designer, two of them, on my podcast, two separate uh, episodes. So, uh, and you can really just cherry pick the episodes. Uh, I can get pretty heavy on some of my things and uh, not everybody wants to hear about, you know, tarot card readers and not everyone wants to hear about how a man's dad made him disposed of his girlfriend's body. I mean, not everyone wants to hear that, but there are so many other episodes and so many other interesting people that I interviewed that I think uh, you'd like if you just want to take a look. And you're also an author. So tell everybody about your books and how they can find those too. Well, thank you. Um, I write paranormal romance in big shock. And, <laughs> and um, I have uh, nine books uh, I've written nine books. I think seven are available now. I'm just rebranding two of them. Um, but the seven are available, and they're on Amazon. And um, a few have been bestsellers, and I'm very proud of my work. So if those interest you in paranormal romance, it's kind of like a twilight. It's basically a romance with some paranormal mixed in. It's not – I don't write about vampires. I, I don't mind vampires. I just don't write about those. I write about, you know, um, New Orleans and voodoo or one of my book series, or Angels and Demons is another book series, and then uh, a standalone is about a haunted house, and another one, a standalone, is about um, mythology and in present day. So there's a lot there to choose from as well, and they're all on Amazon. Leslie, you are an absolute joy. You are one of my favorites. You have been, you're not just a great guest, but you're a great friend and a great mentor, and I want to get you back on to talk about some other things. Love to talk to you about more of the paranormal, the things you do. I love your stories. I had you on my podcast. My listeners loved you. They loved your paranormal stories, you know, your paranormal investigating stories. I was blown away. And I will absolutely have you back on mine. You know that. So whether you like it or not. So <laughs> here you go. <laughs> I'm stuck. You're stuck. We're stuck together. So Leslie Fair, you are phenomenal. Thank you so much for being a part of Serial Spirits this week. Thank you, honey. Thanks for being I appreciate it so much. Thanks to everyone for tuning in to Serial Spirits. Please, if you like what you hear, feel free to rate and review the show. 
Five stars and some nice words go a long way in the podcasting world, and we appreciate each and every one of you. Until next time, bye-bye.